0: Hey, I'm Danny Heifetz, host of the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Me, Danny Kelly, and Craig Horlbeck are coming to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday before this NFL season so you can crush your draft and win your league, or at least make sure you don't come in last place and have to do your league's punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that.
1: Shop delivery or pickup options near you at Ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Welcome to Extra Point Take Shield Capadia here, joined by Ben Solak. A second episode this week. That's right. It's our Woo. version of podcast two-a-days, I, w- I would say. Benny Souls. you look like you're in the best shape of your life, may may I say.
0: Uh, listen, it's 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 preseason for all of us. I, it, I love to say that anytime I make a mistake for the entire month of August. Football or non-football, <laughs> right? Just, you know, pulling the car into the garage, a little bit tilted, you know, didn't, didn't pull it in straight into the parking spot. Listen, it's preseason for all of us, all right? With, sleep past the alarm. Get up a little bit later than I expected. You know what? It's preseason for all of us. It's the For one month of the year, you can make any small error you'd like and just wave it away with. It's preseason for all of us. That's right. Get those
2: interceptions out of the way. Try new things. Figure out what works, what doesn't work. And then by the time uh, September rolls around, you'll be in good shape. All right. The topic today is very simple. Which head coaches have the most at stake in 2023? Ben, I didn't make it any more specific than that. I didn't want to say... Well, we're not saying just hot seat. We're not saying job security. It's just that question. You can take it any direction you want. Which head coaches have the most at stake in 2023? So we're going to go back and forth. We didn't tell each other uh, who we chose. We each have three. And then I'll do an extra point ticket. But I just have like, you know, other than the guys I chose, I have like 10 other guys. So I'm like, oh, I could have chosen this guy. So I'll just run through those quickly and see if you have any of those. All right. I think my number one isn't going to surprise you but i don't know that you would have chosen
0: this guy i'm going with bill belichick as my no i, I she'll i legitimately you spent knew i was, was gonna the, take him i spent part of the, the <laughs> prep for this episode preparing my counter argument <laughs> for why your bill belichick point is a bad point all right you think i not, i didn't know this was coming down <laughs> the mountain here we go
2: all right here we go so here's the reason. I mean, I don't find the Patriots honestly that the 2023 Patriots as a standalone team. I don't find them that interesting. Quite honestly, I think they're going to be a mediocre team. I have them. I think for seven wins, if they get to nine wins and sneak in and and make the playoffs, uh, I won't be shocked. But I'm not predicting that. I think they have a a low ceiling and I think they have a relatively high floor. They're coached by Bill Belichick. They're not going to be a complete disaster Uh, that only wins four games. So they're just kind of stuck in that middle ground of the NFL. That to me is not that interesting. I I could name easily 15 other teams that I find more interesting just for this season. However, you got to zoom out and look at what's potentially at stake for Bill Belichick, for Robert Kraft for the New England Patriots this season. Bill Belichick is 25 and 25 without a playoff win in three seasons post-Tom Brady. Uh, I suspect Robert Kraft knows those numbers by heart and is willing to tell those numbers to anyone and everyone who will listen. I suspect he's thinking, man, I chose Belichick over Brady. Brady went and won the Super Bowl, and I'm stuck with the guy who has not won a Super Bowl. This was a poorly coached team last year. It wasn't just that Matt Patricia was the offensive coordinator. If you watched the Patriots week in and week out and didn't know who was on the sidelines, you would go, what is going on here? This is an undisciplined team. They make bad decisions, uh, untimely penalties, in-game management, all those things. They were not a well-coached team last year at all. So the question for 2023 becomes, what is this team and what happens if they do not make the playoffs? Bill Belichick. Thirty wins behind Don Shula for the all-time record. He's seventy-one years old. If they don't make the postseason, that would be three or four seasons with no playoff, uh, no playoff wins, uh, no playoff wins for five straight seasons, and no playoffs three or four seasons. I mean. That's not great to go five seasons without a playoff win like that. You're you're you know, you're, that, that's not good company you're keeping. So the question becomes, am I making much to much ado about nothing? Is Robert Kraft just going to stick with Bill Belichick until Bill Belichick wants to stop coaching? Or does there come a point, whether it's after this season, whether it's after next season where Robert Kraft says, you've done an amazing job. You've changed my life. We've won a lot together. But now when it's time, it's time. And it's time to move in a different direction. And then it's just dominoes across the NFL. And I mean, it's where does Bill Belichick want to keep coaching? Does he want to move to a front office role? Is he willing to go to another franchise? What other franchises are interested? I mean, all those things are at play. And I think those things are going to be at play at the end of this season. Because if you look at it right now on FanDuel, the Patriots are minus 325 to miss the playoffs. I mean, the odds are very much uh, against this team. Is it possible they overachieve? And I'm looking like an idiot for this take uh, uh, three months from now. Absolutely but that is not the most likely outcome so that's why i have bill belichick as the guy with the most at stake for 2020 and we chose our top three so if you want to say no this other guy is i understand that but he's definitely in my top three
0: okay so here's here's my framework for why i don't think bill belichick has a, a lot at stake this year okay okay so it's what year is it 2023 okay it's 2040 all right you're uh Enjoying retirement, you're sipping a a, a a a nice drink with an umbrella on it somewhere on a beach, right? A little uh uh, uh young grandkid or I don't know, some some you know, okay, youth. Okay,
2: settle down. I'll yeah. still be potting here with you in twenty forty. Yeah. So, okay. next so some, some
0: some some youth comes up to you and is like, sh- 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 Mr. Kapadia, grandpa, whatever. What was it like to be covering football and watching football? When the, during the Patriots dynasty, right? When Bill Belichick won seven Super Bowls, when Tom Brady won seven, Super, eight Super Bowls, excuse me, in New England. What, how, what, tell me what that was like. And so you, you're sitting there, you're reflecting on that question. And in this reality, Bill Belichick's 2023 Patriots with Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi at the helm win four games, they go four and 13, and he gets fired this season. Are you even remotely going to bring that up? when you talk to this young person about what it was like okay. to be watching and covering okay. football during the okay. Bill Belichick era? Okay, a
2: fundamental misunderstanding of the exercise we're going through oh, on wonderful. the podcast. Okay, no, as, as because usual. You, started, okay. you started this podcast. This, pod this with, is not, a, ooh, did I ever the use the instinct? word legacy? I never use the word legacy. Obviously, I'm not an idiot. I know Bill Bill Belichick could go 0-17 for the next five years, and it probably, I mean, all right, that would affect his legacy. He could never win a playoff game again. That's not going to affect his legacy. We know what he's done over the years. I'm saying this season, starting from September, you don't think that's a huge story that Bill Belichick could, his run with the New England Patriots could potentially be over if this season goes south? I mean, that—that how how
0: is that not a lot at stake? What are you talking about? Only you, Sheila. Only you could start the podcast. With all I'm uh, the 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 framework is coach are the most at stake at 2023. You can take it yeah. any direction you want, and then the really? next thing you say to be fundamental misunderstanding of the yeah. exercise. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's true. I mean,
2: I stand I stand by everything I said. So I agree. With no, you I, I understand the what le- you're saying. The legacy right? is not at play but this year, standalone in terms of what it could mean yeah. for the franchise and the ripple effects around the league, that's why I chose Belichick. So
0: that, that's why it's difficult. because I absolutely, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. In the, the framework of 2023, the 2023-2024 the NFL season, it feels like Bill Belichick has a ton at stake. But the only reason it does, like you yourself said the Patriots aren't an interesting team to you. You yourself said like this team does not register as like a high quality team that can make a playoff run. The only reason we really deeply care about what Bill Belichick might do in 2023 is because we've seen him coach for the last two decades with the Patriots and we know what he's capable of and and we know his legacy. And accordingly, because that's why we have such visibility on him in 2023, it's now difficult for me to say, Oh, I really actually like care about the results of the season. It's not going to change my opinion of Bill Belichick very much, if at all, right? And that—that's—that's that's why it's a like a, to me. They're inexorably tied together. You can't have one without the other. You can't say like he's got super high stakes in twenty twenty three, but also like we don't, you know, like this isn't a legacy thing. The only reason we care about him in twenty twenty three is because of his legacy. That's the only reason why why the Patriots team is of any interest, right? Otherwise, it's a very milk toast around five hundred team, at least in my opinion. Um, and so like. I think if anybody were to make a sweeping claim about the quality of belichick's Belichick as a coach, period, like just Belichick as a coach off of this twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three season, I think that would be egregious. I think the body of work is so big, and he's been so successful that we know Belichick's one of the greatest coaches of all time. if If we want to make a comment on the quality of his coaching just in 2022 and 2023 and ask why it has fallen off why it has changed that's a separate conversation and that's like that's certainly interesting to me but in terms of like at stake i can't i can't get up for bill belichick like he's he's going to go down as one of the greats and he could spend the entirety of this season wearing a clown costume on the sideline calling baseball plays you know what i'm saying like it's just uh, that he's unimpeachable up uh, on that matt rushmore to me
2: yeah i i i think that the. The dis- I don't think we disagree really based on what you're saying. I, I yeah. agree that this season has nothing to do with his legacy. I disagree that there's nothing at stake. I think there's a lot at stake for him uh, in terms of just how does he want to close out this Hall of Fame career? I think there's so much at stake for the Patriots in terms of When are they willing to move on? How long are they willing to stick with him? And then I think there's potentially a lot of stake for teams around the NFL that might look at it and there might be teams out there that say, hey, if this season doesn't go well and we have a talented team and we want to win right now, can we get Bill Belichick to be head coach for general manager and just hand him the keys and see if he's got one more run left again, as he, as he trying to chases these 30 wins to beat Don Chula for the all time winningest coach. So that's why I think like around Thanksgiving or whatever, uh, like the, the, the morning shows on Sunday, uh, this is going to be a huge topic that's going to be discussed. Bill Belichick's, uh, future. And again, maybe he surprises and has one more special season that he pulls out of nowhere. And I look like a moron and the Patriots are actually uh really good. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh I'm not uh I'm not arrogant enough to think there's no chance of that happening. All right. What do you have Benny so I think I know who your number one uh yeah. is going to be, let's see.
0: Yeah, the uh I think the coach with the most at stake this season is Brandon Staley, the coach of the Chargers. Um Yes. You, on my list for sure. Yeah, and I, and when when you go and you just simply look at, at quarterback contracts, right? I mean, it's just Either the coach is extremely proven, or the coach is Brandon Staley, right? Like it's just like Mahomes and and Andy Reid. It's it's Lamar Jackson and uh, uh, John Harbaugh. It's Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni, which like Sirianni's obviously like has had the job as long as Staley as he's still very young. But like Sirianni's been to a Super Bowl, so he's got some like you know ex- establishment to him. Yeah, you have Russ in Denver. Well, Payne is very proven. Kyler, we're going to throw off to the side for right now. And then the Deshaun Watson contract with Kevin Stefanski. Trust me, we're going to get you that one. Uh, you end with, You also have Josh Allen in the Bills, which like I really thought about putting Sean McDermott on here a little bit. McDermott's an interesting one. I want to talk about McDermott. Maybe we'll do it for your extra point. But in general, like you just see like, all right, there's a massive quarterback contract. This team has been really successful. And the coach accordingly has, has uh, some some faith to him. And then you have this new Justin Herbert contract. And what what's what's being communicated both internally and externally by the Chargers there is like we are positive we've got the guy at quarterback. So okay, what's your playoff success been like with him? Good question. Uh, the Chargers have yet to win a playoff game with Herbert. Uh, it's weird. Under Staley, they have had two seasons with winning records. They were ten and seven last season, second in the AFC West. Which listen, like you're probably going to be second in AFC West most of the years, right? Is it's, it's going to be tough to win that AFC West? Um, but ten and seven, then. You know, go play, play a wild card game in Jacksonville, at which point they had a 27 to nothing lead. It felt like it was going to be good there for a little bit. And lo and behold, the Jaguars uh, come back from that 27 point deficit and they win 31 to 30. That's very frustrating. That's very uh, uh, that's there's there's no way that happens without some poor coaching. You then, OK, you say, all right, well, what did, what did they do the season previous? They had a winning record nine and seven going into, into, into the final week of the season playing the playing the Raiders. Get to end the season with a running record no matter what. We just got to either win or tie this game and we're going to the playoffs, baby. We lost that one. And we lost it with, again, like some coaching decisions that were questioned, right? I think like the, the Chargers-Raiders game, like we like, there were a whole podcast dedicated to like Brand Staley calling the timeout, whether or not he should have called the timeout, if they should have played for the tie and so on and so forth. But in general, uh, you've had winning seasons. You have a bajillion dollar quarterback. And you have yet to have late season success. And a lot of that falls on coaching, both rightfully, and then also just by virtue of where the buck stops, which like it's just the reality of being the head coach, right? Like you, the you you you're getting the money. You have the job to win games, you, to win playoff games specifically, right? You you need the the team to have postseason success to justify your role as the head coach. And even if like a lot of what Staley does well leads to the Chargers winning games and a lot of unlucky stuff and bad variants has led to the Chargers losing some of these key playoff games and losing some of the, the, these key moments, the buck stops with the head coach. It falls on your shoulders, again, whether rightfully or not rightfully. And I think that's a really important thing to understand with Staley. The reason why it feels like there's a lot at stake here is because Staley was considered like a, a huge... Uh, A watershed moment, a flashpoint in some of the defensive innovations that we've seen over the last few years. And he's also a huge watershed moment and and, and flashpoint in terms of some analytics uh, uh, debates, right? In terms of going for it on fourth down and when you go for two and when you don't go for two. And so there's a lot at stake for Staley in terms of, you know, if the Chargers don't have postseason success this year, I think it's pretty realistic that Staley could lose his job. I'm not saying he has to. I'm not saying that that I would necessarily make that firing, but I think that's definitely on the table. But there's also a lot at stake in terms of like some of our big battles in terms of our like larger conversations in the league right now about how does a, a super analytic driven head coach manage a team change the perceptions on 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 how you make decisions from that position is this is is like Staley's success as a coach is going to be a huge boon to those who argue for it. Staley's failures as a coach will be a huge boon to those who argue against it. It'll also be big in terms of defense. Like how much can you sell out to stop the pass and stop the run? Like is there, did Staley go too far? Does he have to swing back and find a better balance where they play a little bit stronger against the run and they give up a little bit more explosive pass? There's just a ton at stake here with Staley's career and his quick rise to the head coach of the Chargers. I feel like he sees the flashpoint for a few big arguments, not least among which is like, you know, Chargers fans need a win. Chargers fans just need like a nice, good, actual happy season for once in their lives. Yeah,
2: you were just bringing, I'm not even a Chargers fan and I was just feeling like pain at, the, at these games yeah. you've brought up over the last two years. Now, I want to get clarification on, on one thing and I agree, Staley, like, I feel like Staley has to be on any, anybody's list of top three with this exercise. But you, you made a point that even if, you know, maybe the success is due to a little bit of variance and randomness and bad luck, the buck stops. Uh, with Staley, I didn't know if that meant you believe that, that, you know, the various variance and randomness and luck, it has been kind of the big factor with why they haven't won a playoff game or whether you were making that uh, as a general argument.
0: I think, I think variance and luck is a much larger part of why teams win or lose any individual game than we want it to be as analysts and we want it to be as fans. And I think that's an important thing to acknowledge in the in the Chargers, where like even for the Chargers, many many mistakes in the second half of that Jaguars game, it's really hard to give up a twenty seven point lead. You just need a lot of stuff to not go your way in terms of bounces of the ball and 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 trips and falls and penalties and so on and so forth. But still, while acknowledging that you got you got to find a way to win football games. That's what it's to be a head coach, right? Like it, it's it's an unfair job. It sucks that like you're like you know we say wins aren't a quarterback stat, wins are a head coach stat. They have to be a somebody stat, and that's who they that's that's who they belong to. When the win loss record is a head coach stat, and so even if I believe that Brandon Staley's Chargers have been unlucky in like the Raiders game and in the Jaguars game, win one, yeah, yeah. You just gave the quarterback a, a basically market setting contract. You, you're saying that you have the guy. when you you, uh, you have to win the game, and that's why like if, if they have a third year of like. You know, falling out of the playoffs in Week 18, losing in the wild card round. Even if like 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 Brandon Staley is a good coach, I believe he is. I think he's a good football coach who coaches the right way. If you have three seasons where where you 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 don't get the job done with this level of talent, then you could be very justifiably t- fired because the buck stops with you.
2: I generally agree with your luck point. I think we. Pre- I think you have more confidence in Staley as a head coach than I do. I mean, I look yeah. at it. I think if you look at that Chargers team, and it was a different market. And I'm not here to, you know, like make fun. Oh, Chargers have no fans. Like I don't. Really, I know the Chargers have uh, some fans. Some of them listen uh, to our show. It's. I don't care that much about that. But I'm just saying, like a more sort of uh, intense market. You look at the way last season ended, where Brandon Staley plays his starters deep into that week 18 game for zero reason. And Mike Williams gets injured in that game. And then you come back in the playoffs. You don't have Mike Williams in that game and you blow blow a 27, nothing lead. I mean, that is like among the worst two-game stretches to end the season of any coach probably in the last decade. That is a disaster that falls on the feet of the decisions that the head coach made. And so I think he absolutely has to be responsible for that. So that's number one. Number two, you you mentioned him. He was known as like a, a bright defensive mind, an innovator, a pioneer. I mean, in single-game uh, stretches— Over the last two seasons, you see that. You say, wow, they really did a good job against Team X that no one else had done. But you zoom out. They were 26th in defensive DVOA two years ago, and they were 16th last year. I know JC Jackson was injured, but they've put a lot of money and his imprint on that defense and the personnel moves that they've made. And I have a hard time looking at the personnel there saying that, wow, he's doing more with less. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I know it's an impossible exercise. What I'm evaluating coaches, I'm saying, are they doing more with less? Are they doing less with more? Or are they doing exactly what you know what should be there? Like, I, that's, like Mike Tomlin is always my example. Like you just look at every season, wait, how did he how did this team have that record um th- this season with the talent that he has some of those years and i haven't seen that edge from staley so like uh, i i feel like after 3 seasons you need to know where does this head coach give us an edge so far it hasn't been on the defensive side of the ball it hasn't been uh with some of the big, big decisions he's made in terms of playing those starters in week 18. And I would even push back on the analytics thing. I think he was a different coach last year than he was in 2021. If you made this argument after 2021, I would agree with you. I thought he was really aggressive. He was doing things that uh, the nerd said, yeah, do this. And, And he was explaining it with those videos every week. And I was sticking up for him saying, hey, he didn't always get the outcome that he wanted, but these are right decisions. He's got Justin Herbert as his quarterback. You want to be aggressive on offense. Do not change a thing. Well in 2022 I thought he did I thought he did change. I mean specific uh, early in the season I'm looking at it going what what kind of methodology is he using for some right. of these decisions. Now maybe he has information that I'm not privy to and those were analytically sound decisions, but if you just look at it overall compared to other coaches I don't think he gave his team uh, a great edge with his in-game coaching. So yeah, I think there's a lot of heat on him. I mean, for head coaches, specifically ones with great quarterbacks, the first move is changed the coordinator, and he did that this year o- offensively. And that could be, that's a high ceiling offense with Kellen Moore. I mean, they could have a great season uh, and that could be a fantastic offense. Offense, But if they don't, it's like, there's no other move here. You've got the quarterback, you hired your own coordinator, you're in charge of the defense. The organization has made personnel moves that you know you you have wanted to make on defense. Why is this team not better? So, so that would be the case yeah. I, I would have for him definitely being on here.
0: Right. I, I do wonder the degree to which some of the Change in decision making, uh, in terms of fourth down aggressiveness, when to punt, when to go for field goals, when to go for it, so on and so forth, is a result of my favorite maxim. The number one job is not to win games, number one job is to keep the job, right? Right, Uh, right. yeah. Which, which, like, again, like I paused it when I first said about it, like, you know, uh, is there a degree to which Staley's gone too far and he has to swing back? I think that, like, one of the reasons why. I love Staley. And I talked about this a little bit with Steven on the NFL feed a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, uh, defensive coaches and, and 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 you know, what Staley specifically does with the Chargers. I think one of the reasons I really like him and, and Steve really likes him is because he's an innovator, right? He's pushing the way football is played, both from a schematic perspective and then from a decision-making perspective. But then I asked Steven, like, OK, who, who would you rather have as a head coach, an innovator or a winner? And he was like, well, that's a false dichotomy. And, and sure it is. But there's also a degree to which that's true, right? Like when you're on the cutting edge, guess what? Like you're going to try some stuff that doesn't work. You're going to try some stuff that, that comes, and when it doesn't work, it's going to come under very heavy criticism because you went and stepped outside of the norm, right? You stepped outside of what, what is traditional. So there's a lot of visibility on that decision. And sometimes it works, sometimes it blows up in your face. People are really going to care when it blows up in your face. Uh, and so that's why like, I, I think it's so important to under, understand with, with, with stay, like I said, wins are, are a coaching stat I think Staley is a good coach because I, I like the way that he thinks about football. I think he thinks about it the right way. and I think he, he, he makes decisions based off of that good paradigm of football. It's better than a, a common, archaic way of thinking about the game, especially on the defensive side of the ball that we see in a lot of teams right now. But... having those good philosophies and making moves based off those good philosophies doesn't necessarily translate to wins as neatly as we'd like for it to. Part of it being the luck thing. The other part of it being that Cutting edge aspect of things, right? Like when you're innovating, you're going to try stuff and experiment. And sometimes you might might be too far off the off, off the edge. And that's why, like again, like I don't know what Staley's 2023 is going to look like, but I certainly know off of his 2022, there were people who were like, "Why does this guy have a job? He should be on the hot seat. He should lose the job." And I was like, "I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I disagree with that. I think he's a good coach, but I do get it because you're really out there on on an island where you, when you're running the team kind of the way that Brandon Staley is, and this is such a hugely important year for him. He needs some proof of the pudding, right? He Win some games, win a lot of them, win some big ones, win a playoff game, and everybody shut up real quick. Yeah, there's just, I, I just feel there's been a little
2: bit of an inconsistency to his approach. I'm with you. I had all those thoughts you had his first year going, All right, he's trying new things. He's pushing the envelope. I like this. He's an outside the box thinker. He was communicating what he was doing. He, I think he does that really well to the media, which earns him some goodwill. Like he will explain kind of what, what he's doing. Uh, at the same time, I felt like what you said, maybe whether he felt the heat, whether for, there was a different reason. I felt some of those decisions were not as sound last year, uh, the stuff at the end of the season. Again, I don't mean to keep bringing it up, but like that, that's a big deal to me. Um, when you, when you're making a big decision like that for your team and one of your best players gets injured and can't play in a playoff game and then, you know, losing the lead that you did, uh, coaching is obviously going to play a role in that. And then the bottom line, though which I don't even know if we, I think we've mentioned his name, but haven't talked about him. We both think Justin Herbert is really good. A lot of people think Justin Herbert is really good. If Justin Herbert is 25 and 24 as a quarterback, I know the one season was not with Staley, but if he's, you know, what, a few games over 500 in two years with Staley with one playoff appearance and no playoff wins, I think people like us are going to go, well, we don't think that that's Justin Herbert's fault. So whose fault is it? (laughs) Exactly. That it's like, well, there's only one person left whose fault uh, it it could be. So yeah, uh, I think, I think, think, right.
0: Like we've been on Staley for a bit, but I think like the, the, the clear one liner is that, like, if you gave this roster, especially with Justin Herbert, just like a clear establishment solid yeah. coach, like, I'm not talking Andy about Reed, Andy,
2: Sean Payton, right? But, like, know, but, like uh, yeah. and like, but like, not even, even less one than of those,
0: that. yeah, right? Like, if you just gave him to like Doug, right? Like, Doug's obviously yeah. won a Super Bowl, but like, if you gave him like a good offensive coach, they'd be better, they'd be better. They would be. Yeah, they would have won and more won. games, right? Yeah. And so Staley is an extremely young coach, not a ton of experience in the NFL. I'm okay. I'm honestly, I'm okay with some of the inconsistency because again, like I think like there's a degree of like trying stuff and figuring things out, and like what's our balance going to be. I'm all right with a little bit of like we're you know we're we're still figuring some stuff out here on this like new and modern approach to making decisions in game. But the mistakes have been have really blown up in his face, right? That's some of the luck component, but they've really blown up in his face. And at some point, if you're the Spanos family, you go, okay, let's just get a a good West Coast OC in here, win 12 games and and try to make an AFC run. And you can't fault them for that decision.
2: And that should be a spot where you can really attract a great head coaching candidate too, like Mm -hmm. that. that, I mean, a lot of Sean Payton might be looking at that next year going, shoot, why did I take that Bronco job? All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get to our next uh, coaches with the most at stake in 2023. NFL futures are out and now now's the time to get in on the action early this season because right now new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. One of the ones I'm looking at Indianapolis Colts regular season wins six and a half kind of like the under there. rookie quarterback don't know if Jonathan Taylor is going to be there in week one defensively one of the worst cornerback situations in the NFL that's a rebuilding team I don't know if they're going to be able to win seven games this season, but hey, you might like something else. Tons of different player props like passing yards, TDs, rushing and receiving totals. Great team markets like teams to make the playoffs, win the division, Super Bowl matchups, and you can parlay together different picks for even bigger payouts. Go to the FanDuel Sportsbook app to find more options. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash RingerNFL to join today. There's no better place to get ready for the football season than on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and official sports betting partner of the NFL. So don't miss your chance to get $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, go to Fanduel.com slash Ringer NFL to sign up today. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
2: All right, we are back on Extra Point Taken on the Ringer NFL feed. I thought that was a good steady discussion. I feel like we're getting our, you know, our conditioning is is coming up here. Uh, we're a couple weeks Stack into training reps. camp. Stack and Yeah, we're stacking, reps. stacking reps. That's right. We're we're staying out of the, uh, staying out of the training room. We feel red, the hamstrings are a little sore, but we feel relatively healthy. All right, my number two guy. Uh, this is probably some low hanging fruit is Mike McCarthy.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> I have some questions for you, Ben. How and I think that well, I'm not gonna say anything more because then it'll it'll lead to your answers. How many teams have more wins uh than the Cowboys over the past two seasons in the entire NFL?
0: Chiefs. One. Correct.
2: One! Come on now, One come team. on, son. Uh, I'm pretty sure I asked I might have asked you this before. Uh, all right. Wow, How okay. Many I te- get it right. You're like, oh, I must have asked you it before. <laughs> the Cowboys up. The Cowboys have the most wins in the NFC over the past two seasons. More than the Eagles, more than the 49ers, more than anybody else. They've got two back-to-back 12-win seasons. However, you knew there was a however coming. Uh, They've not gotten past the divisional round. Their playoff seasons have ended in just like a kind of comical disaster, I guess would be one way to phrase it. They have now gone, Ben, 27 straight seasons without advancing past the divisional round which means you in your lifetime i don't know your exact age have i don't think you've ever seen the cowboys get past the divisional round no wonder you are no, an and
0: it's electric you're all welcome by the way for <laughs> me being born and just immediately oh not gosh. immediately i was born in 97 but yeah no i uh, as an eagles fan i i trust me if you didn't bring it up i was going to ask you like shill you know the last year the cowboys made it past the <laughs> divisional round
2: what a, what a difference! You were watching Cowboys teams that were just you know being mocked and made fun of. I was watching Aikman and Irvin and Evan. and right. wow, this team's like incredible. They're just the, the best team in the NFL. That's the thing is, I, 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 I
0: was raised by a Steelers fan and, and 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 a Jets fan, but but like our our unifying thing in our house was we all hated the Cowboys. Right Where we sit down yeah. Sunday night, be like, all right, Eagles lost today, Steelers lost, Jets lost, but don't worry, Cowboys lost too. <laughs>
2: I think yeah, I know I remember you you mentioned that before. Yeah, I'm sure there are other households like that uh, across across the country and across the world. This is Mike McCarthy's fourth season. Okay, he made a big move this offseason, parting ways with Kellen Moore, who we just talked about. The numbers with Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott together are pretty eye-popping. If you yeah. look at if you look at just when Kellen Moore had Dak Prescott on the field over the last four years, the Cowboys ranked second in the NFL over that four year stretch in EPA per play behind only the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, listen, I know there were times in the play last year in the playoffs, what one touchdown on 10 possessions. I'm not telling you there weren't times when the offense sputtered and they turned the ball over. That's true. But we'd like big samples here on extra point taken. And the big sample was this offense was pretty freaking good as long as Dak Prescott was healthy So now they make the move. Mike McCarthy takes over play calling. He hires Brian Schottenheimer to be kind of his right-hand man. Uh, I think Schottenheimer said 70 percent of the offense is the same. Mike McCarthy's talking about we're going to run the ball more. This wasn't a pass-heavy team last year. I think they ranked mm-hmm. 22nd or something uh, in kind of pass rate on early down. So I, I just wonder about McCarthy's decision-making process. I wonder about how is Mike McCarthy going to manage the game when he's calling plays? in terms of calling timeouts and knowing when to hurry up and knowing when to challenge. I mean, that's a big deal. Like, you're seeing fewer and fewer coaches do that because it's really hard. So uh, those are the reasons why Mike Mike McCarthy is an interesting name going into this season. However, I will say this, and the reason I was wondering, you know, maybe Mike McCarthy doesn't belong on here, Ben, is that Jerry Jones is more loyal with his head coaches than he's given credit for. Jason Garrett lasted nine plus years in that position. He made the playoffs three times and won a playoff game twice. And yet he just held on to that job uh, for longer than anyone would expect. So I don't think Jerry Jones necessarily is saying, I want the best coach. I think Jerry Jones, and by the way, he's not alone in this. I think other owners act this way too, want someone he's comfortable with. And he's comfortable, obviously, with Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy's not going to tell him, "Hey, don't give that press conference uh, in the hallway right after the game. He's not going to say, "Hey, can you not go on the radio uh, or can you not give this interview about Zach Martin? I'm trying to kind of coach a team here and let our players know we're we're behind him and care about him. Mike McCarthy's not going to do any of those things. And so Jerry Jones might be more loyal to him even if the Cowboys don't have a great season. So uh, just zooming out, I think this team is absolutely good enough from a talent perspective uh, to win the Super Bowl. I was thinking about how many teams can realistically say they have the talent to build a top five offense and a top five defense this year. I think the Cowboys have that potential if everything goes right to fall in both those categories. But uh, I do think there's pressure on Mike McCarthy given the decisions he made, how he's taking over the offense uh, and all those things. And by the way, Ben, Dak Prescott, remember there was that whole contract and signs and extension? Dak mm-hmm. Prescott's only signed through 2024. You have him yep. under contract one more season after this year with Dak Prescott. I mean, it would be a disaster to go through this entire Dak Prescott era and get to the end of 2024 and to have not gotten past the divisional round. That's like organizational uh, malpractice, in my opinion. Not not, not that Prescott doesn't hold any responsibility, but he's been a, a really good quarterback uh, for most of his tenure there when healthy. So that's the case for Mike McCarthy. What did I miss?
0: No, I... I... I very much agree. Like the reason why McCarthy deserves a pole position, he's my second name on my list in this conversation is because the message that was sent emphatically this off by the Cowboys was don't worry. Mike McCarthy's taking more control. Like that's, that's what yeah. it was. It was, it was like, you know, uh, they didn't have like any major team departures. Right. And, and in terms of like, like key, like key free agents. Like obviously there's no more Zeke. Right. But Zeke's a free agent and get Zeke back if they wanted to. And like, I think that the loss there is not negligible. Zeke was an important player to them for a long time, but like they're excited about Pollard and rightfully so defensively, they've kept all the major stars The the, the only, the one big change was just, Hey, like we're moving on from our offensive coordinator, but don't worry. We have Mike McCarthy. So we're fine. And like, so like it, it, the 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 pressure on Dax stays to me like roughly the same, maybe a little bit more. Like pressure on Pollard goes up. Sure, I guess Zach Martin's like a weird thing. Who knows how that's going to go? We talked about that earlier this week. But like, I'll tell you, like pressure on Parsons, Trevon Diggs, Ceedee Lamb. It's all like the same. It the it's just Mike McCarthy saying I'm going to take a bigger piece of this pie. So like inherently, like he he put his chips in the middle of the table. There's so much at stake here. Uh, the. Like uh, and then to have said that and be like, don't worry, like I'm I'm gonna solve this problem. When like you brought up the Dak, Kellen Moore numbers have been so good. Is like, all right, you really gotta hit a window yeah. here in terms of how successful you are. A- and there's because it's the Cowboys, it's so easy to defray attention to something else, right? Like you just like Jerry Jones, is like, like constantly up to something. You have like the Ezek Elliott you know, they're feeding him because of the contract and Pollard's better. You have the Zach Martin thing. Now you have all the, all the Dak discourse, right? The constant visibility on how good is Dak? Does Dak deserve the contract? Whatever. Uh, remember like, like the, after the Cowboys lost to the Niners, it was like, our oh, Dak can't win in the playoffs. Cause obviously the Cowboys haven't made it past the divisional round. If you go back since 2016 and you just look at expected points added per drop back for quarterbacks in the playoffs, Dak Prescott is, is eighth in terms of like, that's his career right there, right? He's behind Nick Foles. Pfft. Patrick Mahomes, or no, uh, uh, Matt Ryan, right? You kind of have these two guys who just had these, this one season of like an incredibly elite run. But then after that, it's Mahomes, Roger Stafford, Russ, Brady, Prescott. Next is like Rivers, Allen, Breeze, Roethlisberger, Hertz, Burrow. Like Dak is just there among like the best quarterbacks of the last six, seven years, squarely playing well in the playoffs. Like they're, like there, there's, again, like when you're, when you're, when you're, uh, when you remember the Dallas Cowboys, it's so easy to just be like, look at our quarterback, criticize him. And then you just don't get necessarily the visibility that you would warrant somewhere else. Right. And so like, I think Dak receives a lot of unfair visibility and unfair attention for like why the Cowboys have struggled over the last few years when really like, I think more of that belongs squarely on McCarthy's shoulders. And, and certainly this year, as you remove Kellen Moore from the equation, it's going to be, I think even harder for McCarthy to kind of hide from some of that visibility. Uh, and so it, it is uh, McCarthy was brought in to save the Cowboys from their postseason struggles. He has yet to do so. He pulled the yeah. Staley, right? He got rid of his OC. And you you kind of, you, you, uh, you knock down that that one last domino, that one big red emergency eject button that kind of saves your job for a year. Um, but it's put up a shot of time for the McCarthy era in, in, in Dallas because I, I struggle to look at Dak's career over their shared time together and even before McCarthy got there and find Dak to be the problem when it comes to postseason success, right? There's certainly stuff Dak does overall as a quarterback that that, that deserves visibility, but he's not the reason they're losing in the postseason. Uh, I, I think that over the last few years, McCarthy deserves a little bit more on that.
2: Yeah, I think you and I disagreed a little bit on that Niners game last year. I feel like when the when the offense scores one touchdown on 10 possessions, uh, I'm going to put something. It, was, certain, it, I think, it, it,
0: it wasn't, it was far from Dak's best game. But after yeah. that game, there was a bunch he of like... He was awesome. And, and
2: he was awesome the week before. He was right, incredible. There was the week so before,
0: much yeah. like, and this is why the Cowboys came in with Dak in the playoffs. And it's like, I'm sorry. Do I do mm-hmm. we want to talk about last year's Niners Cowboys yeah. game? Because <laughs> Dak ain't the reason they mm-hmm. lost that one. Yeah.
2: yeah, no, I I generally agree. I think we we both think Dak Prescott is a very good quarterback. I and mean, if you're a Cowboys fan and you look at like, think of the last uh, what? eight years, decade here, where you luck, I don't want to say luck into it because they drafted the guy. You get a top 10 quarterback in the middle rounds of the draft, which is just like the golden ticket uh, right. in the in the NFL. You get that. You get who I think is like a hall of fame defensive player in the middle of the, fir- like could go down as an all-time great in the middle of the first round. You get a coordinator who has coordinated this defense to top five finishes in back-to-back years. And you have zero to show. You haven't even gotten past like that. That's tough. That that is that is a tough pill to swallow if you're a Cowboys fan. When you look at the things that, because they have gotten a lot of things right, the things you've gotten right. And then to still look at the end of the day, your pro football reference page and say, man, it's been 27 years since we've gotten past the divisional round. Uh, that is a tough pill to swallow. All right, you said McCarthy was your number two. Do you want to yep. go to your next guy? Uh, and then I can uh, sure. finish out with the, my third guy. OK, go. ahead. Yeah,
0: I do. Before I do that, I want to ask you. You brought up the fact that Dak's only signed through 2024, right? Uh, percent chance that Dak Prescott is a Dallas Cowboy in the year 2025.
2: I would say still pretty high. I would say 72.9%. What do you that's think? A, a, that,
0: that's a that's that's about in three out of every eight universes, Dak Prescott's playing somewhere else in 2025. That's a lot. So you think I should have gone higher? I would have or said like 85.90. Okay. That would have been yeah. my answer. So I was I, curious I, what you said.
2: I think he's going to be... I mean, he listen, he played it smart and took a short-term deal... And said, I'm going to hit the market again when I'm, he'll be like in his early 30s at that point. So he's going to have a lot of leverage uh, at that point. I just, the Cowboys don't really have a contingency plan. Now, if they go a couple more years and he doesn't play well or they don't win, then maybe that changes. But I, I would say definitely the most likely outcome is that he's still there.
0: Yeah. All right. I was just curious where you were at on that. Yeah. Okay. My number three. Uh, I thought about a few guys for this and I ended up just going with the first thought that I had and what I, what I think would be chalk. I don't know if there's a way you can have chalk in a rank like this, but there's a lot of there's a lot at stake for Kevin Stefanski, the head coach of the Browns. That's who I've got. that's yeah. who I've got. Uh, and we and we'll definitely, Like I said, there's a few more people that I definitely want to talk about. Um, but with Stefanski, uh, Stefanski spends his entire career in Minnesota, right? Assistant to the head coach, assistant quarterbacks coach, running backs coach, tight ends coach. Like he's just, just this this homegrown guy in Minnesota. He's going to come up. He's going to be the OC. He's going to go through the 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 franchise. And then he gets that Browns offer to be a head coach and he takes it. All right. Leave the Minnesota, uh, the Vikings world where like you kind of know how everything goes. And you walk into Cleveland, you, and and now like unfortunately, now that we look back on it, a little bit unfortunately, you have this immediate success, right? Okay, so say Baker Mayfield, he comes in 2020 and Baker has his best career, a uh, best year of his career. Uh they're running the the, you know, the uh boot play action, Sean McVay, popular offense, 2020, everybody's doing this. And they got Nick Chubb moving and and grooving. And they got a great offensive line, Bill Callahan's there. Everything's hunky dory. Like we're just going to plug and chug this thing the same way that it's worked for all these other offenses for the last few years. But in 2020 defenses were starting to catch up. They started to solve some of Stefanski stuff because Stefanski really in that Baker year was just running like the same six things, right? And they were running extremely well, but it was, it was a simple offense. And, uh, and then you start to deal with the reality of Baker not necessarily like having the top tier talent of a first overall pick at quarterback. And it's kinda like McVeigh with with Goff, or like, okay, we can win with this guy, but can we go get somebody else? And like, what's this gonna look like? And Stefanski pretty quickly has to like grow up. You gotta do some big boy stuff. You gotta diversify the offense. And you have to, to deal with the, this this quarterback contract situation, right? Like you, you, you uh this this is being a head coach is, is making these really tough decisions with these guys you invest a lot of resources in. And then we know the end of the story. Uh Kevin Stefanski, to whatever degree he was an an agent in the Deshaun Watson decision, he was actively like, I want to go get this guy, or if he was a passenger on a boat being driven by, by the Haslam family and by ownership, I uh, don't, to me, like, like we're, we're splitting hairs at that point. Stefanski was a key player in a decision to bring Deshaun Watson to the Browns. Uh, he was a key player in a decision to pay Deshaun Watson a massively, substantially record-setting contract. He was a key player in a decision to to justify and excuse Deshaun Watson's horrible history and and many misgivings and many transgressions with with the Texans, based off the pure fact that he has a lot of football talent. And Kevin Stefanski wants to win some football games, so you made what is just like a bad human decision, just like not a good choice to win a lot of games as the head coach of the Browns. Deshaun's suspended for eleven games. You got Jacoby Brissett out there. You're kind of hanging hanging around a little bit. Like the offense is is working. You, you you've got Amari Cooper. You've kind of juiced things up. You've developed the offense. You've evolved a little bit. And you get those games of Deshaun and Deshaun did not look good. The offense got worse. The defense was horrible the entire season. You did not win a lot of football games. All right. Well, here we go. Stefanski's had three seasons as the head coach of the Browns. They finished fourth third and third in the AFC. Now that, fir- that, that 2020 year when they finished third, they still made the playoffs. They were 11 and five, right? They had that game against the Chiefs. But in general, you have not had divisional success. And you're coming into your fourth year as a head coach. You're the, and this is your second quarterback as a head coach. He is the highest paid quarterback in the league. And also the decision to acquire him dramatically negatively impacted your franchise in terms of, of, of just their role as, as good people in the world you could win a hundred games in an 18 game season and not justify the Deshaun Watson decision, but in the scope of football, in the scope of, of the competitive game played on the field on Sunday afternoons, you have to win a lot of games. You absolutely unequivocally need Deshaun Watson to be good at football and win a lot of football games to say, all right, we went through all of this and it was worth it. It wasn't, but that's, that's the argument that you're going to make from a football perspective. If not, man, the Browns have got their wagon hitched to Deshaun Watson. They ain't getting out of that contract. So they're going to, Bring in somebody else to fix Deshaun Watson's football game and win a lot of games with this two hundred and thirty million dollar quarterback. That's 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 what the Browns are going to do. When you give any quarterback, let alone Deshaun, that much money, if they don't win, the head coach can't fired because they can't fire that guy. You can't move on from the quarterback, right? And so for Stefanski, I, I I very much think this season is is win double digit games or lose your job. I I I think that's that's the reality for him because you cannot as ownership have made the Deshaun Watson decision, have even moderate football success and say, okay, this is good enough. This, this, this was worth it for us. It won't be. Again, like I don't think it's ever really actually worth it from like a universal tipping of the scales perspective, but from ownership's decision that moderate success is not going to be enough. You have to legitimately like win the AFC North. You have to win double digit games. You have to win a playoff game and then ownership's going to say, okay, this guy can make our Deshaun Watson decision worth it. And so Stefanski, uh, career year. Uh, for him this is it for me as head coach of the Browns I'd, I'd, I'd wager
2: yeah the key the key point you made there is that when you give Deshaun Watson that contract by the way a contract that no other team was willing to give him again a reminder the Browns were out how did the Browns get back in they made a gear, fully guaranteed offer that no other team was willing to match he signs with the Browns since then
0: I was gonna I was gonna say and then a contract that nobody has beaten which doesn't nobody happen. Not even Nobody, close. I mean, no, no one's going
2: close to that guaranteed number. Jalen Hurts, uh, Justin Herbert, Lamar Kyler Jackson. Murray. I mean, yeah, there no has been, that did not set a precedent. That did not change the NFL. That was a one-off that one team was willing to do for one player because it was desperate. So when you make that move, that quarterback's the most important person in the franchise other than the owner. And if things don't go well, like you said, nothing's happening to the quarterback. You're with the quarterback uh, now for many years to come. And I don't think people realize like the numbers are eye popping with the Browns' offense with Jacoby Brissett last year. Like Maybe. from an efficiency yeah. standpoint, a top eight offense. Like I agree if, if you're going, I watch the Browns. That can't be true. I'm with you. I watch the Browns and I'm like, you watch the end of those games going. They don't have a chance to score here. They're not good enough. But uh, the numbers are the numbers, and the numbers fell off a cliff when Deshaun Watson got back there. Now it was a six game sample. Deshaun Watson has a history of being a very good quarterback in the NFL. It's possible that he comes back and is fantastic this season and that they have one of the best offenses in the NFL. However, it's also possible that, you know, maybe the the scheme fit. There's more to that than we would like to think in terms of what Kevin Stefanski wants to do, what Deshaun Watson is comfortable doing. There's also the fact that Deshaun Watson hasn't shown on the field that he's a good quarterback for three years now. Like we could look at those years with the Texans, but it's been a while since he's been on the field as a good quarterback. And then the last thing I'll say, Bennett, it has like nothing to do with uh, EPA or X's and O's or anything. And this is really how I feel about the Browns this year. I just feel like there's a weight on that organization From that decision, and precisely to what we're talking about, a pressure on that organization and the key decision makers, and the head coach, and the GM, and the owner, and the quarterback, and the teammates, and I think they feel it. I mean, look at what they did this summer. They went and did training in the first part of training camp in West Virginia. They got away uh, from from their home base in Mm Berea, Ohio. They're going to Philadelphia for joint practices. Now I'm not saying those are the only decisions, but I do, like you just look at it and you're like, there's probably a sense that they kinda wanna get away. They feel like they need to isolate themselves, uh, put themselves in a bubble, whether it's an us against, you know, a a foe us against the world type mentality that they're embracing. And I just don't know that they have, they're like a stable enough organization to handle that. Like I look at it on paper and I go, this team could absolutely win the AFC North and, and and make the playoffs. I mean, if Deshaun Watson is just like the 12th best quarterback Stefanski to me is a very good head coach. I mean, I, I know you gave the win loss numbers and that's true. Their offense, the three years with him eighth, 14th, and 9th in DVOA. That's with Baker Mayfield, Jacoby Brissett, and Deshaun Watson for six games. Like I think Kevin Stefanski with that offensive line can uh, put together a good offense. And I think their defense is going to be one of the most improved units in the NFL. They had a very good uh, offseason in terms of defensive personnel. And they bring in Jim Schwartz, who I think sets a high floor for your defense. So the formula is there the blueprint is there. It's possible that they get it together and win, but you're absolutely right. And I just don't know that I, I trust sort of the infrastructure there. And and, and I don't know that, that I trust that they're going to be able to kind of take on that pressure, uh, especially if things don't go on early in the season. And if they don't, yeah, they they absolutely look like a team that would make a change yeah. after the season.
0: No, there's there's a lot of, of of spreadsheet warriors who are like the Browns, man. Like they're like, you know, in terms of like season-long betting, like take the overs in terms of best ball invest in the team, and I'm like, yeah, it just might be bad, like it, and like it might be bad because it's horrible, and that's why it's bad. Like that's not an English sentence, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, and and when when we again when we zero in on Stefanski, like I said, like. I, I don't pretend to know nearly enough about Kevin or like be sourced up or whatever to be able to say, if he was like an agent of the Deshaun Watson decision or an unwilling passenger in the Deshaun Watson decision that now has to justify it, put on a face of the organization or whatever. But in the reality in which like Stefanski was not like super in on getting Deshaun to Cleveland, he's just not going to coach well in that environment. Like you, it, it independent of the context in which a bad coach quarterback pairing is created. It just never goes well. They never figure it out. It's like zero for a, a billion in terms of like success rate in the history of the NFL. And, and when you, again, when you go from a finance perspective, if that pairing is not working, Stefanski is the part of the pairing that's fungible. He's move onable from, and uh, 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 Deshaun isn't. If Stefanski was an agent of it, then okay, maybe he's going to be more motivated to get it done. But again, like he's the part of the pairing that, 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 that can be cast aside. And so let's say like, all right, he, he does run a great offense. Like he's a good football mind and he does. Ha- I think he has a way to like take Deshaun Watson, the, the, the quarterback, the player, the individual with talent on the football field and make, and make an offense around him and lower his sack numbers, take advantage of his aggressiveness. But if just Deshaun's not right, like if Deshaun's just not going to play good football games, he hasn't in ages. And with everything that he did is just not going to be a good competitive player anymore. Then there's nothing Kevin can do to solve that. And yet he's still going to be the one that gets fired. And that's why there's just so much at stake for him. It's just like there's so many corners of this reality that the Browns have created in which Kevin Stefanski is danged if you do, danged if you don't. Sucks for Kevin, but also to whatever degree he authored this reality, I don't, it's just a little bit hard to feel bad for him.
2: Yeah, I don't know that he was a driving force, but I, have, I haven't have heard or seen any evidence that he was against the move and right. we both know how NFL coaches work when you now, have an opportunity if he gets fired then the, end of the grade, season yeah.
0: the evidence that he was against this move the is going to come out real yes.
2: quick well that's <laughs> the last thing i wanted to get to yeah that's why i think like the first 6 weeks of this this season are very interesting for the browns cuz who has the most powerful like media, you know, influencing the media arm in the NFL potentially. I mean, we all saw how the Deshaun Watson, some of the coverage uh, played out over the last two years. Can you see a little leak that Deshaun Watson isn't thrilled about this under, under center uh, play action offense? Like this isn't a great fit. You know, Stefanski's not listening to Watson's ideas for uh, the offense. And then if, like you said, if you're Stefanski and you're looking out for the rest of your career, hey, Stefanski wasn't on board. Watson was forced on uh, onto Stefansky. So uh, there, there's a situation where it gets a little ugly and they go back and forth. Last thing I wanted to say, you kind of threw it in there, but I think it's a big point. The sack rate with Deshaun Watson was always high in Houston. And we always said, well, Houston's offensive line stinks. Last year with the Browns, Deshaun Watson, uh, like his sack rate was higher than every quarterback in the NFL, not named Justin Fields. And if you look at it, Jacoby Brissett's was way lower than Deshaun Watson's was. So I look at that Stefanski offense, and I don't think like explosive. Mm -hmm. I think like methodical, efficient. When you have a quarterback who takes a lot of sacks, I think it's harder. It's obviously harder to play that way because sacks kill drive. So uh, that's something they have to get uh, figured out how to not take those negative plays.
0: and like again, like it's so it's it's very challenging to talk about the Browns and the Deshaun Watson situation in the terms of like typical quarterback situations because there's just so much additional context. But like in general, when a free agent signs an enormous and he was he a free agent? He was traded. No, he's a free agent. Yeah. When, when a free traded, agent traded. was he, trade? oh, yeah, no, he no, was okay. traded, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he was traded. Yeah, was traded. Right. Yeah. But he was also right meeting with multiple different teams. It was Is like a free agent worked? trade where he got yeah, yeah. to pick
2: where he went. Yes. Yeah.
0: And typically, though, when a, a player arrives to a new team and signs for market-setting money, insane money, that player doesn't develop much anymore because you can't tell him anything. What, what is what, like, Does Deshaun Watson, get better at your sack rate. No, I'm making unbelievable <laughs> money, and I'm already here. Right? Like, it's just, like, that's, that's just the truth of it, right? Unless, like, this is why, like, the J.J. Watts of the world are so, like, remarkable, right? These guys who just, like love working and get better and like, you know, technique in the grind, like Jalen Hurts. Right, Jalen Hurts, a great example. Those guys are just so obsessed with improvement that they're going to do it independent of the context. But for a lot of like uh, players who sign massive extensions, especially when they go to a new team, right? And they enter that team as a player who has all this power. They're just not going to change the way they play. Why would they? You got the job done. Like you got got what you wanted out of this in terms of the the mass amount of money. And so, even before you start to introduce the context of how Deshaun Watson got to the Browns and how like their culture was affected by that. Kevin Stefanski says to Deshaun, take fewer stacks. Deshaun says, no. What's Kevin going to (laughs) do? Yeah. I mean, I I think
2: Watson's history as a football player suggests he's been a pretty like self-motivated guy to improve, but you're right. It is kind of human nature where you've gotten kind of everything you've wanted, uh, from a financial perspective. Mm. And you've, you've kind of, you know, uh, there's it. yeah, you, you feel bulletproof and for the coach, that's hard to, that's hard to be a coach in that spot for sure.
0: Yeah. That's me at the ringer. They brought me in here. They were like, you're doing the podcast. They're like, Ben, you got (laughs) to shut up. You talk too much. And I was like, Nope. And I said, Ben, you know, make, make too many wrong (laughs) predictions. You got to get actually good at this. I was like, nah, I already got the bag. We're chilling. (laughs) All right. On that
2: note, let's take a quick break. Uh, We'll come back and I want to throw out some other uh, coaches your way.
1: This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at Ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
2: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. All right. We're back on the extra point taken. So to be clear here, in case you were keeping score at home, I had Belichick, McCarthy, uh, Staley, and then I thought you were going to take one of them. So I had Stefanski fourth. So you had, give me your Staley, three Staley,
0: McCarthy, and Stefanski in that order.
2: Okay. All right, so here are the other ones on my list. I actually did write down a fifth that I was uh, willing to go to, and that was yep. Josh McDaniels. I think he was pretty much a, a firm five uh, on my list. And si- just, I mean, I don't know what that franchise is doing. I mean, last offseason, they're saying, let's go win now. Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, that doesn't work out. They think moving from Derek Carr to Jimmy G is going to be an upgrade. Jimmy G has played 10-plus games twice in his career. Uh, it's, a, it's a bottom 10, maybe worse than that offensive line. Uh, Kyle Shanahan isn't walking through that door. You you got a nice supporting cast, but the throws aren't going to be as easy with Josh McDaniels as they were with Kyle Shanahan. And I don't know if you've looked at their uh, secondary, uh, Ben, but that defense is probably going to stink again. It was 31st in DVOA last year, and I don't see uh, much reason for improvement this year. I was reading a story on The Athletic where Josh McDaniels says he wants to communicate better with players uh, this season. Oh, when is this going to happen, Josh? I mean, we have kind of a time. How long has Josh been a coach in the NFL now? (laughs) Yeah, he's 17 and 28. uh, As a head coach, he's had six seasons without Brady or Belichick. In those six seasons, the offense has never finished in the top half of the league. In DVOA. So I know like people like Josh McDaniels from an X's and O's perspective. Uh, I just don't see it. I thought that was going to be a train wreck the second they hired him. Uh, I think that's going to be a bad team this year. I don't know if Mark Davis just sticks with him after the year. I think that's possible. But I just that is a directionless franchise to me that's just kind of stuck in the middle, making decisions uh, on a whim every month, month to month.
0: Yeah, I think McDaniels does have good X's and O's, but I also, also thought that would be a dumpster fire when they hired him, and then and, and I'm not yeah. I'm not in on McDaniels as the head coach. For a, for a guy, McDaniels joined the Patriots as a personnel assistant in 2001. He started on the coaching side in 2002 as a defensive assistant. So he's been a coach for 21 years. If you, after coaching the NFL, never a year off, never like a year in college, whatever, after 21 years go, I really, I gotta learn how to communicate with these players. Buddy, (laughs) man, that's not great. You were in the league when you were 26 as a coach. You should have maybe at that time started thinking about how to communicate with players. Um, I didn't have McDaniels down on my list because I just feel like the Raiders are low stakes overall because like, I guess like maybe they have expectations, but I feel like nobody has expectations for them. Yeah. So it's sort sort of irrelevant. Yeah, dial up the stakes. Uh, For me, fourth for me was uh, uh, Sean McDermott. I think McDermott has a lot at stake. I don't think McDermott is losing his job if the Bills win the division but don't make the conference championship this year. But I'm I'm going up to Buffalo for camp next week, and the whole point of my trip is to just, like, check the temperature of the water, right? Like, okay, been a little bit of a shaky summer. We fired Leslie Frazier. Stephon Diggs was missing for, like, 12 hours. And Sean McDermott was like, this is terrible. Like, I, I is everybody okay? Are we fine? Like, it's... <laughs> an extremely frustrating environment or frustrating reality when you know you're so good at football and you just have not played in a conference championship game like that's just so hard and so there's a lot of McDermott. McDermott, like uh i don't want to say he needs to get a conference championship game needs to get an afc championship under his belt but it's it's a it's it's like the staley herbert conversation wrapped up even a couple more notches like okay you've won some playoff games like we know you're good but like we don't get put in the record books here. We don't get trophies. We don't get hardware. We don't get bonuses. We don't get all this stuff unless we actually like get the hay in the barn here a little bit. So I think there's there's pressure on McDermott. I have Robert Sala on my list as well. Hold on, let
2: let, let, let me uh, respond to McDermott because I think that that's that you you framed that perfectly because I Thanks am you. doing my preseason prep and I'm looking at the Bills going. Wait, why are people down on the Bills? Like The Bills are going to be really good this year. But then I have that feeling in the stomach. Wait a minute. Sean McDermott is a freaking intense guy. I mean, he is, he is a serious guy. He's an intense guy. I think he's a very good coach. And when you go into a season and you're trying to get guys motivated for an August practice, knowing that like the meaningful games for this team are coming in January in the divisional round. Like that's ultimately going to determine whether it was a successful season or not. Uh, that's a tough spot to be in. Now McDermott and Brandon Bean both got extensions in the offseason. So I don't think they're going anywhere, right. but it is fair to wonder, like, are we going to be saying after this season, like, all right, the arrows pointing down a little bit on the bills, or is it going to be, Hey, that was an overreaction by people. Uh, this is still one of the mm-hmm. best teams in the NFL. So I think the temperature check is, is a right way to, uh, to kind of frame that. All right. Who was next? for you
0: yeah i the the thing on mcdermott yeah is like uh i think there are tail spins you can get yourself out of and tail spins that you can't i've never flown a helicopter but i feel like that's a reality of tail spins the bills are currently like a little bit of a tailspin, out out of which they absolutely can get themselves there's a world in which you start to get into a tailspin that you can't pull yourself out of and something inherently crashes and burns uh robert sala was on my my short list um jets fans have a tweet of mine that they absolutely love I was asked before the 2022 <laughs> draft who's a GM who could lose his job as a resu- as as a result of of the decisions he makes today, and I said uh, Joe Douglas because at the time Joe Douglas needed to make Zach Wilson work, and then obviously Joe Douglas drafted the defensive player of the year, defensive rookie of the year and the offensive rookie of the year, so Joe did a great job. But they love to hit that tweet, and they're like, you know, Ben hates the Jets. Sala and Joe Douglas have been there for a long time. On the scale of NFL coaches and general managers, they both uh, saul has been there for three years. This is going into four. Doug's been there for four years, going into five, if memory serves. Um, you made a trade for Aaron Rodgers. Great defense. Got to do it, right? Like, like most of the time, if you look at the history of, of, of coaches and general managers, when you spend a top half of the first round pick on a quarterback and he busts over half of the time, you get fired. Salah and, and Douglas didn't. So they're on their second life and usually you only get one second chance at this. So there's pressure on Sala, right? Like it's an extremely competitive division an extremely competitive conference. I don't think they need to win it in order for it to be like, you know, great. But Rodgers is their last swing at the bat at quarterback. And like, obviously Rogers and, 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 and Hackett and the Jets are all projecting like, Rogers wants to be here for forever. He wants to be here for five more years. He wants to play and give us money. And it's incredible. That's all well and good in August. When you lose back-to-back games in October, which you know can happen, like for any given number of reasons, right? But when, when stuff starts to hit the the fan a little bit, what 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 what's the result there? So there's pressure on Salah. I don't think he's he's losing his job tomorrow, but there's there's high stakes for him.
2: Yeah, I think the I, I, I think if Rogers stays another year, then I think like they'll just keep everyone together and see let's make year, it a two. Yeah. But but you're right. If Rogers doesn't play well and it goes poorly, and Rogers says all right, I thought it was going to be for more than a year, but I'm finished. Then it's almost like. Natural breaking point where all right, let's uh, restart here. So I think that's a good one. All right, yeah. Who, who else?
0: Last one for me that I would mention is just Ron Rivera. Um, not like a deeply like sexy or interesting team, but Ron's been the head coach of of Washington since 2020. There's new ownership in place. They have no presumed future at quarterback right now besides like the Sam Howell heads. Uh, if Washington is not good this season, I mean, just like a complete wash and redo makes so much sense for this team. Like they're just they're just teetering on the edge of that. I think, already. Uh, and so, you know, I think Ron can save his job by having a great season. I think if Ron is anything less than a great season, I would not be surprised if there's just a changing of the guard in Washington because there's new ownership and, and, and it's the time to do so. Uh, so a lot at stake for Rivera, a lot at stake for everybody in Washington. And the horse to which they've hitched that wagon is Sam Howell. So we'll see how that goes.
2: Yeah, I would say it's minus odds that Ron Rivera is the head coach of yeah. the... Commanders week one of 2024. I mean, that feels like a situation
0: where he would ha- he kind of had, it almost feels minus to be like odds a ma- means it's major more likely situation. than
2: 50%. Well, no, if you were betting on, okay, you're right, that he's not the head coach, that he's, I meant that yeah. he's not the head coach. Yes. Gosh.
0: Yeah. Sorry. All these, Thank all these, you. all these, all these neophytes trying to talk <laughs> betting. Come on now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. The other names, uh, let me see. Who else did I have written down? I mean, these are kind of boring ones too, but like Dennis Allen. I mean, yeah. It?
0: Right i mean dennis allen has a lot at stake in terms of like <laughs> at some point dennis allen is just, just gonna his believe job it. is at stake right yeah I, I would say like dennis allen's a lot of stake just in terms of like at some point dennis allen is going to believe that he has no chance of ever being a good head coach and he's just destined yes. to be a defensive coordinator for the rest of his life
2: yeah and i guess todd Bowles probably fits in that I thought also Bull, yeah I mean, Bowles the he, same way he's been dealt a little bit of a tough hand here with Tom Brady retiring. He kind of had one year to make a go of it. It didn't go well. And so uh, that was another one. Honestly, we could go like eight more, but we've got many shows between now and week one. So we will hit on those other teams, those other coaches for sure. But I think we hit uh, on all of the Can I?
0: I want to put two names in the world just to make sure that you agree with me in terms of no. Because I think the fan bases, some, some percentage of the fan okay. bases... For John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin would want them mentioned on this list, but you and I both Ooh, would say no. Really? Right? Yeah, no. Hundred percent.
2: I would say they're among the five best coaches, probably. Exactly. Uh, okay. It, uh, Mike Tom. Wait, Mike Tomlin? I mean Harbaugh. I, I I like Harbaugh a lot, but you could talk. You could talk me into the Ravens have a bad season. It's become stale. Do like I guess you could talk me
0: into that. I think it's stupid. But Tom, what Tomlin? Okay, Shield Steelers fans. Oh, uh, one of whom is my father another one of whom is my sister <laughs> are the most spoiled fan base in the history of the world right they've had like two coaches since 1830 all right like they just think that like yeah all you do is you just hire a guy and he's the coach for 20 years and you win three Super Bowls. that's how all the other franchises do it right the last five years of tomlin have been no playoffs lost wildcard round lost wildcard round no playoffs no playoffs for the in Steelers world that's like, oh, what a what a bad run we've got here. We're in a rut. We need a new coach. Like, I legitimately, like there's a there's a decent percentage of Steelers fans that are like, Tomlin will never be more than a 500 coach. That's unacceptable here in Pittsburgh. We need to find a better guy. That's a very real sensation among Pittsburgh fans. I think I don't think it's a majority. I think it's a minority, but it's there. I think it's bananas, but it's there.
2: Again, as I said, my uh, exercise for evaluating head coaches are is are they doing more with less less with more or pretty much exactly what they should do with the talent. And right. you mentioned seasons with the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger and Kenny Pickett as a rookie having two concussions with Matt. I will say, if you want to rip tie, I, I'm, I just did some work on the Steelers this morning. I'm going, how is Matt? How are you sticking with Matt Canada, Mike? Just please. Get, if if yeah. they would have just made a change at OC, I might be on this podcast going, the Steelers are my sleeper team for 2023. That one hurts me uh, a little bit. But yeah, no, I can't. I mean, the guy, again, never had a losing season gets winning. Rec- I mean, just listen, Mike Tomlin understands coaching. The The interview Mike Tomlin did last summer or last offseason with the Pivot podcast, I thought was one of the best explanations of what an NFL coach's job should be and how many of them don't understand what their job is uh, of anybody right. I've heard in the last 20 years. So uh, I'm plugging another podcast here. <laughs> Go ahead and listen to that if you haven't, because I-, I thought he was that good on that podcast. All right. This was fun. We're back in the swing of things. We hit on a bunch of teams. We hit on a bunch of coaches. Uh, Thanks to Eduardo Ocampo for pitching in and producing. Appreciate that, Eduardo. Additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. Thanks to everyone for listening. Have a great weekend. Ben and I will be back next week on Extra Point Taken on the Ringer NFL. feed. must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here.